listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So here's what I want you to think about, because I have thought this even this week. How could God ever use someone like me? Because here's what we do. We all do. We, we have these lists of limitations that we add on to all the reasons and ways that God could never use me. I've heard people say, you know, I just don't know enough. I never even finished school. I don't have a degree. I mean, I don't know as much as other people. And listen, when you sit on a pastoral staff with guys like Eric and Ross that are just Bible scholars, I always feel intimidated. Or we say lack of talents, and we look at people that have such experience and gifts, and we look at them and say, well, how could God ever use me? Man, I've heard I'm too busy. You know, I have too many other responsibilities that God just won't be able to use me at this time. I've heard I'm too young for God to use me. You know, what do I know about life? I'm too old. I can't relate to anybody anymore. I've even heard, man, we are barely getting by. And if you knew how bad our finances were, God wouldn't trust us to do anything. But I think probably the biggest category would be just our failures. Maybe it's marriage. You're sitting there thinking, listen, I'm divorced. How in the world is God ever going to use me? Or my children, man, they've raised them and I tried to do everything and they have just chosen paths away from the Lord. I mean, what do I have to offer people that I can't even raise my own children the right way? Addictions of all sorts. Well, I want you to know the good news is there's really only one thing I believe that hinders God from using us. And we're going to see that hindrance today through a fascinating story. It's an experience in John 9 of a man born blind. And man, he is funny. He is sarcastic. And he's not backing down from anybody. But hopefully, we will examine our own lives this morning to think about how can God ever use me? Well, we left off with, in chapter 8, with Jesus in the temple. And remember, we talked about that scene where the, the sun goes down and they light the lamps in the temple. It glows out throughout the city. And Jesus stands up in the temple and says, I am the light of the world. Well, Jesus is now walking by the temple sometime later, sometime between the next feast and uh, he notices a man because what would happen, people would gather along the pathways, the walkways, leading up to the temple. This is where people are bringing their offerings. Hopefully, they'll be generous. So if you have any type of limitation, you could be blind, you could be lame, a chronic illness, this is where you would go for survival. You would be at the mercy of other people. And Jesus is walking by and observing, and his eye catches one certain man. And you meet him in verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And so we learn a lot from the first few words that Jesus is walking and he notices this man that he's not just blind, he's been blind from birth. I mean, think about what life would be like if you have never seen anything. Now, you know, we've all done, we close our eyes and, you know, we pretend to walk around the room, but imagine you don't have a reference for anything. Well, then I found a YouTube channel that I spent way too much time on. So I'm about to rob you of some time this next week. But it is great. There's a YouTube channel of a guy named Tommy Edison 
that was born blind. And he talks about all kinds of things of growing up and never being able to see. And he is funny, and he has a great outlook on life. In fact, he's being interviewed, and they asked him, what's the worst thing about being blind? And he kind of stops for a second, laughs. He says, not being able to see. <laughs> Duh. He talked about, they asked him, what's it like to dream? And he said, well, I only dream by sound, taste, and smell. Fascinating. He talked about, he said, all you sight people trying to describe color to a blind person is absolutely ridiculous. He says, I know this, you tell me the sky is blue and water is blue and ice is blue. Well, how can they all be blue? And he said, poor orange. I mean, nothing even rhymes with orange. But then they asked him, what would you like to see if one day you could see? We said, I'd love to see myself. I'd love to see what I was like when I was little to, to where I am now and all the changes that I've gone through. He said, I'd love to see my family. And then he said, I'm fascinated with space, the sky. And I'd love to see that one day. But you think about the limitations of a person born blind. You, you could feel the warmth of the sun, but you'd never see the beauty of a sunset or a sunrise. You, you could hear the waves of the ocean, but you'd never know the beauty of the, the white sand up against the blue water. You could experience it you know, feel emotionally the love of a family, but you'd never see the joy on a child's face as they open that gift they've been waiting for. You you would never be able to uh, look at someone and watching their face with tears rolling down their, their face, whether it's joy or, or, or sadness. You, you'd never watch a child walk for the very first time. Well, this man that Jesus notices is full of limitations. And as Jesus and his disciples pass by, they're going to ask a very interesting question. In verse 2, his disciples asked him, Rabbi or, or teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, first of all, remember, he's blind, he's not deaf. And so he's hearing all of this going on. But the second thing is, is that they ask a really important question. You might have even thought this when something has happened. You might have thought, why is this happening to me? Or what did I do to deserve this? Well, I'll be honest with you. There are no easy answers to suffering or trials. There's just not. But there are some things I think that are helpful. For one, in reality, all sickness, all birth defects, all disease, all sickness, all things are the result of us living in a fallen world. But just because there is sickness or disability or disease in your life, it does not mean that it is directly related to something you have done. Now, there are consequences for our actions, and God builds those things in. If you're pregnant and you smoke two packs a day, you know, your children, sad thing is, are probably going to have side effects of that. But all suffering is because we live in a fallen world. But not all suffering is directly related to something that we have done. Because notice, the disciples, their conclusion is wrong. They think this man's blindness is a result of something he's done or his parents. But Jesus tells them differently in verse 3. Jesus answered, It is not this man that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, allow that to sink in for just a moment. Jesus says, it's 
not because he sinned or his parents sinned. His suffering, his trial, his limitation is for a greater purpose. That God has built this into him so that God can use them. Now think about one of the major trials, maybe sufferings or limitations that you have experienced. Or maybe it was the loss of a job. Maybe it was loving or honoring a spouse that doesn't return that. Maybe it's parenting children that walk away from the Lord or disease, sickness, cancer, the birth of a child or a loved one. We could throw in mental illness and battling constant fatigue or depression. I know for us, one of the greatest trials we ever went through was not being able to have children. But sadly for me, when I face trials, kind of two things happen. One, I begin thinking, what have I done to deserve this? I mean, what did I do that brought this on? And then my second thought is, I want to get out of this trial as quick as possible. But as I've been studying this passage over the last few weeks, Jesus is beginning to shed some light on this for me. You know, I know there's going to be trials in my life. I could be just around the corner from a major one. You could too. But after studying this passage, I hope I would begin viewing them Differently, that I want to have eyes that even if they're filled with tears and frustration, that I will be able to stop and to think, I wonder how God might use this for His glory, for His honor. And I hope you would join me in that, that the next time a trial comes or a difficult situation, that we would stop and to think, I wonder what God might want to do and how He might use this. So let's see. This man's blindness display God's work in verse 4 through 7. He said, We must work the works of him who sent me, talking of the Father, while it is day, or meaning the opportunity. For night is coming, when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and he made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and he said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Shalom, which means sent. Now that's a crazy scene. Jesus picks up some dirt, he spits in it, he makes a mud pie, and he puts it over this man's eyes. Then he tells him to go wash, that's right, ooh, in the pool of Shalom. Well, let me just show, this is really no easy task. Not only are you blind, you now have mud on your eyes. He's up at the temple, and he now has to make his way through the streets all the way to the south end of Jerusalem to the Pool of Siloam. But not only does he have to do that, he then has to make his way down a massive staircase that they actually uh, uncovered in 2004 looking or, or working on a damaged sewer pipe. Imagine this scene, this man, how strange this must have been, him walking down through the streets with mud covering his eyes. He had to be aside. This He could have thought, you know what, this is absolutely ridiculous. People have been making fun of me my whole life. There's no way I'm giving them more ammunition. But notice what he does. So he went and he washed and he came back seeing. I mean, this man could do nothing to make himself see. The only thing he could do was what Jesus said. And when he did, he came back seeing for the very first time time. Now imagine this man running through the streets, hooting and hollering and yelling and screaming and trying to take it all in. In fact, this morning I was talking to an eye doctor and he said, 
I mean, it's fascinating to watch someone that has been blind, whether it's cataracts or whatever, and to restore their sight, that it's hard for them to take it all in. They're almost paralyzed because they're trying to figure out what all of these new sights were. Well, the crazy thing is, is that we're going to see a series of reactions, and some of them are mind-blowing. Look at the first reaction from his neighbors. The neighbors and those who were with him before uh, knew him as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he, but others said, no, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they said to him, then how were your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus, he made some mud and he anointed my eyes and he said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. And he said to him, where is he? And he says, I do not know. So they can't believe this. In fact, some people, they say he looks like the man, but there's no way this could be him. So they're trying to wondering, trying to figure out what's happening. But notice what the man says. This is, this is important. The man only knows that his name is Jesus. That's all he knows. That's all he knows of this man. He's never seen him, even to this point. He doesn't know what he looks like. He couldn't pick him out in a crowd, but he simply knows his name. But I want you to notice and watch how this man's knowledge of Jesus changes over the next few verses. So they don't know what to do. So what do they do in verse 13? It says, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. And so... The neighbors, they can't make any sense of this, and so they bring him to the synagogue leaders of their day. They bring him before him, and you would think that this would be a, a great opportunity, that a man has received sight, that there would be this huge celebration. But instead, this celebration, it turns actually into an interrogation. Because notice what they do in verse 14. Now, it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him, how can... He had received his sight, and he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do these things? For there was such division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? Since he has opened your eyes, and notice the change, he said, He is a prophet. So first of all, notice two things. One, they're upset that Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. And I believe Jesus purposely did that. If you'll think back to John 5, he healed the lame man on the Sabbath. He's purposely doing this because, see, they took God's command of remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But then they begin adding all of their man-made uh, stipulations, their rules upon that. So you know what, according to their man-made laws, in order to keep the Sabbath and keep it holy, you could not need bread. That's how they interpret it. You couldn't heal someone unless it was a matter of life or death. So according to their man-made laws, Jesus was a sinner because a sinner would not be able to do that, would not be able to heal someone. And you can see their logic. He's either from God or he ha could the miracle didn't happen. Well... As they're caught up in their man-made rules, the second thing is notice how this man's perception of Jesus changes. He went from only knowing his name to believing he is a prophet. Because this man probably heard stories about how the prophets of the Old Testament had healed people. 
So these Jewish leaders, they're stuck. They, they do not have an answer. So what do they do? They go to the man's parents. And what is interesting is just how irrational the leaders become. Look at verse 18. The Jews, meaning those religious leaders of the synagogue where they were, did not believe that the man had been blind and had received his sight. So first of all, they conclude this man was not actually blind. He's probably about 13 to 25. So in their minds, he's been faking it for about 15 to 20 years. Just for this moment to go, oh, I can see. I mean, that is how irrational they are becoming. So what do they do? They investigate. Because now they said, if we can't deny him, we must deny the miracle. So until they called the parents to the man who had received his sight, and they asked him, is this your son who was born Was he born blind? How does he now see? The parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But now he now sees how? We do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. Well, first of all, he's not going to know because he doesn't know what he looks like. He will speak for himself. But notice why they said that. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews... For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed Jesus to be the Messiah, meaning the Son of Man, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So his parents feared being kicked out of the synagogue. They did not want to go through that. They feared confessing Christ. They would not do it. So notice again, they interrogate the man. So for a second time, they call the man who had been born blind, and they said, give glory to God. Sounds like some good news for a change, but it's not. We know that this man is a sinner. So this is not a phrase of celebration. It isn't like, hey, hooray, give God the glory. In fact, they're saying, by the name of God or on his name, do you swear that what you're saying is not true? They want him to admit that he is wrong about Jesus. And then I love this man's response. He answered, hey, listen, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know is that I was blind and now I see. He says, that's it. You can debate, you can argue all you want, but this is all I know is I was blind, have been since birth. This man named Jesus comes up to me. He spits in the mud, puts mud on my face, and I wash and now I can see. But this next part, it gets even better. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've already told you, but you wouldn't listen. And then he says, "Uh, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? Well, this man, again, when this happened, he looks at them and he says, it seems like to me that you're really wanting to be one of his disciples. And this infuriates the religious leaders. Just notice it says in verse 28, and they reviled, meaning angrily insulted him, saying, you are his disciple, but we, we're disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not even know where he comes from. So they're trying to insult him. But this man, he is not backing down. And here's the best response yet. Because he's going to lay it out for them, and they know they're caught. The man answered, well, this is an amazing thing. 
You don't know, you do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him, and they would affirm that. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind, and they would have confirmed that. If this man were not of God, he could not do he could do nothing. So he highlights what is so frustrating for these Jewish leaders because they're at a crossroads. They either have to admit that Jesus is from God or that the miracle didn't happen. They have to choose one side or the other. Either the miracle happened and he is from God or he's not from God and the miracle didn't happen. But their pride will not let them humble themselves. So in frustration, notice what they do. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, meaning sin upon sin that we can't even say it. And you would teach us. And they cast him out. So first of all, they insult him in one of two ways. You're born in utter sin and you can't teach us. You don't know anything. And notice what they're doing. They're highlighting his limitations. And they kick him out of the synagogue. You're not someone God could use. So listen to this. In reality... Following Jesus, God never promises that following his son will make life easier. Talked to someone this week and they said, listen, man, it wasn't until I gave my life to Christ and I wanted to live for him. I wanted to live according to his standard for my life. And then it seemed like my life started going downhill ever since. Because in fact, many times when people make decisions, life doesn't get easier. It actually gets harder. But can Jesus fix your life? Absolutely. I have no doubt that Jesus can do that. And he will bring you to a joy that you could never imagine. But many times life circumstances will become more difficult. Because in that, he's wanting to teach us more and more to lean on him, to trust in him. In fact, Jesus promises us that you will have trials. But know this, but all suffering that we endure for the sake of Christ will not compare to the joy and the blessing that will be waiting for us when we see Jesus. What happens next is an amazing picture. In verse 35, they've kicked him out of the synagogue. Verse 35, Jesus hears about it, that they cast him out, and he went and having found him. Jesus hears and he goes looking for him. That the Jews cast him out of the temple, but what they don't realize is that the Lord of the temple went and found him. But notice the change in this man's perspective. And Jesus said, do you believe in the Son of Man, meaning the Messiah? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And notice the response. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped. So we went from just knowing his name of Jesus to saying he's a prophet to believing that he was a son of man and his belief turned into worship. So not only did this man receive physical sight, he was given spiritual sight. Well, then there's one little last scene. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who may become blind, and those who see may become blind, Some of the Pharisees heard these things and they said to him, are we also blind? So you know, Jesus knows something about him, that his presence calls for a decision 
to be made. You either accept Jesus as the only way of salvation or you reject that truth. There's no middle ground. And the Jews asked, are we blind? And they're expecting Jesus to say, absolutely not. But instead he says in verse 51, and Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you see, we see your guilt remains. And so here's the contrast. Here's the picture that John is wanting to paint for us. The blind that receive sight are those that admit their hopelessness and inability to save themselves and they trust in Jesus. Those that think they can see that actually become blind, they are those that do not recognize their need in relying on other things to make them right before the Lord. But every encounter with Jesus becomes a moment of truth. And that moment of truth is how we will respond to the one that is the light of the world. So this morning you see this blind beggar. You know what he is? He's such a picture. He's a, a picture of the person that Christ came to save and can use. Because think about it. Is he self-sufficient? Nope. He had to beg and was at the mercy of other people's entire life. Well, what about accomplishments? You know, we hold those in high regard. I mean, this man had done nothing, not worthy of anything. Well, we put a lot of stake in status. Man, he is a beggar outside the temple. And what you see is he is full of, exp of limitations. But this man knew his need and he wanted to see and he knew he could not do this on his own. So this man's limitations, you know what they become? They become God's opportunities. But then the Jews, they're to be the, just the opposite. They're self-sufficient. They don't need anyone. They have it all figured out. Man, they can rely on their own accomplishments and their status. They know the law better than anyone. But they refuse to humble themselves. Their greatest hindrance, which is also ours, is to be used by God is not our limitations, it's our pride. But know this, that pride actually comes in two forms. The first one we're very familiar with. Pride says, hey, I can do this on my own. I don't need any help. And it blinds us to the truth that you see from the Jewish leaders. But there's another form of pride. Pride also says that I have too many limitations for God to use me. And pride blinds us to the power and the promises of God, that God can't do anything through this. So let me ask you again, have you ever thought, God could never use anyone like me? I don't know enough, I'm not educated enough, I don't have enough talents or experience or gifts. I'm too busy, I have too many responsibilities, I'm too old, I'm too young. I have too many failures. Well, pride is what limits us to being used by God. It says... I don't need God for the life I want. But pride also says, I have too many limitations for God to use me. Well, this morning, I hope you'll look at the blind beggar. That he is a great picture of the kind of person that God uses. That when you think about your limitations, I hope you will start believing that God, when he looks at you, he sees your limitations and he sees opportunities. Because that's what happens. Our limitations become his opportunities. So the call is this, would you turn from your pride this morning, whether it's thinking that you don't need God and you've tried this thing on your own, or that you just think you're too limited, that God can use, and I believe he wants to use all of us, that God has put you in the family you're in, the job or career you're in, the neighborhood, the community, the church, 
And God wants to use you. Are you allowing him to do that? That our limitations, man, they become God's opportunities. And so this morning, I'm excited because we get to celebrate what Jesus said about himself, the light of the world, that he came. And there are going to be some that are going to come and say that that light shined into my life and I responded in faith. And they're going to be coming forward to baptism. The great thing is, whether young or old, male or female, that if we believe in Jesus Christ and Him alone, that we know that we have a Savior that will love us to the end of the ages. So would you pray with me before we move to baptism? Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we are excited. We're excited to be able to celebrate with these that are coming for the picture they will paint of the gospel. Lord, thank you for the truth of this man, the blind beggar, and how you came and in obedience he followed and you changed his life forever. That this man was full of limitations, but they became great opportunities for you. And Lord, I would pray for all of us that we would turn from our pride, whether thinking we don't need you or that we are too messed up and too limited, that we would trust in you for all things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.